Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Coffee Break on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Lahren, and I'm joined, as always, by Carrie Smith, often Hello. in the hand. Hello, Carter. Yes. <sighs> Today was a mad, another mad rush to get here in time. There were just so many things happening. So, but I'm here. And how are you? I'm. You know what? I'm well, except for I'm allergic to something this morning. I've been sneezing my head off. I don't know why. Maybe um, I'm allergic to social justice, and there's just too much in the air here in California. There's too much going know. around. <laughs> there's too um, much going around. Yeah. I'm, I'm allergic to left to leftist racism and racism from the right, but you know, there's a lot more of the uh, of the former going around right now. Yes. Um, <laughs> Well, welcome. If it's your first time here, this is Unsafe Space. This is a live show that we do on Mondays and Fridays. And we usually talk about whatever's in the news and whatever you guys want to talk about. Um, we're glad you joined us. We just had an excellent book club yesterday. I think it it was. It was definitely our biggest crowd yet. What did we have? 50, 60 people? Uh, it was a lot of people. Yeah, well, it was like, oh, maybe 40, <laughs> but still, it was a lot. Okay. It was a lot of people. It was a lot um, of people, and it was a great book. We we talked about Cynical Theories by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay. And if you guys missed that, you can watch the discussion if you're interested. Um, and uh, I really I really love that one. Our next book club is going to be, we kind of alternate usually between fiction, nonfiction. The next one's going to be Thought Criminal by Michael Rechtenwald. So if you want to check that out, you can get a link to buy the book at, um, if you want to buy it, uh, and give us a penny. I think you can do that on unsafespace.com book slash book club. And we have an affiliate link, but you can get it wherever <laughs> we do. We do. We might even get two pennies, two pennies. But, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'd like to do though, is, um, I'd like to find non Amazon places mm -hmm. to send people and do affiliates. That's um, what we should start on my to yeah. list. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was a good, I, we should apologize that James and Helen were going to show up with some last minute life reasons prevented them, but we will have, we'll invite them back and have them talk about, I know, I know at least one of them, if not both want to come back to talk about yes. the book at some point. We so, would definitely love to have either of them back. Yeah. Um, so, uh, just some housekeeping stuff. What are we supposed to say? Well, I'm supposed to display this overlay again and say, you can buy our <laughs> I you know I should have used a different one because you still can't see the image. The power of the white girl shirt at unsafespace.com slash shop. Beverly, I've done my duty. I've pushed the merch. Uh box checked. We also uh, have a else? clips like, channel. Share, subscribe. Yes. Yeah, if you want to see short clips, it's a separate channel, so we don't clog this channel up with those, and that's unsafespace.clips. Um you can follow that. And yeah, I think that's it. What do you want to talk about today? <laughs> uh, well, there's lots to talk about. By the way, so G-Man just sent us a uh, a super chat, and I want to address it because, by the way, we may start having to uh, screen super chats like and not do all of them at some point because it, it's, it's starting to get ridiculous. So I apologize if we start going there, but we're not doing that intentionally so far. But G-Man says, I was thinking about joining your book club, but Carter got kind of scary toward the middle yesterday. <laughs> do I need to do anything to sign up? Um did he? No, you haven't seen I, I scary, wasn't scary until you watch the book club we did on C.S. Lewis, the screw tape letters. <laughs> and then you see Carter get all like, ow, like his claws come out. 
he, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that was the most that you were arguing. Passionate is not scary. Passionate doesn't need to be scary. I know. Um, I agree. But uh, yeah, I did get passionate and I am passionate about that topic that I was passionate about yesterday. I'll probably talk about it again today. Um, but to, to answer your question, um, speak at unsafespace.com. You just email them or you go to Facebook and join the book club group and say that you want to be in book club. That's how you get the zoom link. Um, a lot of times if people wait to the last moment, um, and then complain that they didn't get in, it's cause you know, we're not sitting around 20 minutes before the show waiting to send you a link. So although we are pretty good about it yesterday, we did, we did, did get it. some last minute thing people in. So don't worry. Yeah. So email us and no and promises. Be the next one. <laughs> I'm the, remember I'm the scary one. No promises. Do your homework ahead of time. Don't procrastinate. Then you'll get in. Okay. Everyone's welcome. <laughs> Everyone's welcome. Everyone is welcome. And we had disagreements okay. yesterday, which is fine. Um, yeah. And I appreciate. So. Uh, yeah, that makes yeah. it interesting. <laughs> so what is uh, your. People are writing silly things. Okay. What is your sign about too nice? Oh, um, well, it, I, it almost kind of relates to the book club pseudo rant yesterday um okay you know the big five personality test there's the agreeableness scale yes is one of the is one of the five facets of the big five personality so back in the back in the day um i've, I've mentioned this before but before jordan peter when jordan peterson was a regular bloke um he worked with a company that i was at doing um using the big five personality test to do psychological profiling for potential founders for startups. Um, and he, it was him and, and a grad student of his, and we, we consulted with him to develop this, this basically this founder kind of screening test. And we would score people based on how well we thought that they would perform as founders and, and kind of use past data from successful founders to, you know, iterate on this test. And it scored people on the big five personality test. And, and he put together these, these, the system of flags. And so there was flags for like, if someone was a narcissist, he would like figure that out with the big five and like put a flag on like, oh, this person's a potential narcissist or whatever. But one of the flags was too nice. Um, and it was, and it was bad. It was a bad thing. Um, obviously if you were, uh, there was another flag. I forget what the other one, but it was like basically not nice enough. There's a there's a sweet spot window of holding your own and being agreeable, but not uh, obsequient, right? And there was too nice, and and the too nice flag meant they're not likely to be able to make tough decisions, and they're not likely likely to be able to lead a company and actually build a company because they're going to want to be agreeable with everyone. And the last person that talked with them is going to get a yes out of them because they don't want to argue and you can't really lead a company and build anything. And that was the idea of this too nice flag. And it was something that obviously we took into account before didn't doing anything with potential founders. And um, I was thinking about this in the context of basically, uh, I would say classical liberals, like uh, our, our audience generally, and like people in the West generally who value enlightenment values and who value um, reason and evidence and uh, liberty. And I think to a large extent, <clears throat> we are sometimes too nice to really bad ideas because we believe in the freedom of speech, right? Um, 
and, as, and I do as well. As much as I despise, by the way, a lot of the social justice crap and the philosophy behind it, I completely support their right to write all their books and say all their things and speak and have their platforms and say what they want. And even if it's egregious and racist, they can totally say it. And I support their right to do that because I believe in, in the right to free speech. Um, but it doesn't mean that we have to also take them seriously. And part of the discussion yesterday, the, the discussion yesterday didn't really go there. There was a little bit of this in chat. Um, so it's more about the chat and less about the verbal discussion, but it got me thinking about some tactics that the, we'll say the, the social justice with capital letters uh, uses. And one of them is this kind of intellectual intimidation. Um, and it's this idea, and, and you can actually think of it as kind of a form of concern trolling, right? Where people are like, oh, well, I'm concerned people understand. You're not really understanding this. You need to really look into this. I'm just trying to help you understand. But like, it's concern trolling. And the fact is, you will be, uh, let's just step back at a high level. You can't, you can't know everything. No one's omniscient. You can't even know everything in a particular field. You could spend your entire life studying philosophy and not know everything there is about Foucault and Derrida and, and Hegel and Gramsci and Marcuse. Like you, you can't possibly know all of it. Um, and so therefore there's always this argument that you're just ignorant of something. You need to understand better. And that can go on forever. That can go on forever. There's literally no end ever to that. Even if you were an expert, there can be disagreements about interpretations and it can go on literally forever. And it's used to, um, it's used to de derail legitimate criticism. And I think one thing that happens is because, because people assume that other people are coming at this with, a, with good intent, and they assume, oh, we're all just trying to get to the truth and make the world a better place. And you just think I need to read this more clearly or that I need to study this better or or whatever. Wait, I think Carrie froze. Yeah, she did freeze. Well, um, <laughs> hopefully she comes back. But because because if you assume people are coming with, with um, we'll say, legitimate intent or like honest intent, what happens is... Um, what happens is they can use that against you. They use your virtue of of assuming good intent and your magnanimity against you. And they use it against you by saying, well, you haven't read this. You need to study this more. You don't understand that. Blah, 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 blah. Um, oh, now there's three carries. Let's move. There we go. You're back. <laughs> um, or two carries. So they use this against you. And I, here's the thing that I, I really want. I want in order to save Western civilization, we need to stop being nice to these people. Um, we need to stop. It doesn't mean we need to say that they can't speak, but we need to stop letting them distract us and be and be and be too nice and accommodating to them. Because if someone runs up to me and says, for example, "Hey, um, we should have a system whereby people are their sins are judged. Uh, you're judged by the sins of your father." Um, and the sins of your race, and that's how we should that's how we should formulate a system of justice. I understand where I believe the concept of justice comes from, what where ethics derives from. I I understand it to be um, something that is how you judge people's actions. It's it requires choice, 
right? Morality requires choice. A, a, a squirrel that picks up a nut is not doing anything moral or immoral because it's just acting off of instinct. But when humans have a choice and they make a choice to do something, it's, that's, when, that's when the concept of right and wrong come in. It's, it's when you have a choice. If you're a Christian in the audience, it's, uh, that's why I think the Christian argument would be that's why God gives you free will. He needs you to make, you can't be virtuous if he doesn't give you the choice to make the virtuous choice. Otherwise, you're just an automaton. You're just a robot. So it, choice is an individual thing. Choice is your own brain. You make a decision. You have free will. You make a decision. So if someone comes to me and they say, this is what the system should be. We should judge people based on blah, 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 blah. You're white. Therefore, you, you're responsible for slavery and you're black and therefore this and blah, blah, blah. And I reject that. And then they say to me, well, you just don't understand the nuance of the argument. You really need to read this person, this black feminist, and you need to read this, and you need to read Marcusa, and you need to read Crenshaw, and you need to read blah, blah, blah. Here's all the things you got to read. Then you'll understand it. I don't have to read all that. That's busy work to distract me because I already know the conclusion is false. It's just like if they come to say two plus two can be five. I don't need to understand the philosophy to argue against that. Two plus two cannot be five. Bridges fall down. You can't operate in reality off of that. I understand why. I don't need, I'm not obligated to go read the voluminous babble that's been written that would somehow, quote, justify two plus two is five because it's unjustifiable. And it's, an, and it's a task, it's a fool's errand to spend your entire time trying to refute utter garbage. If the conclusions are garbage, it is not required to roll your sleeves up and dig through the trash to try and explain to people why they're garbage. The conclusions, you can judge based on the conclusions. If you have a moral system that, for example, justifies murder, go do your homework. I don't need to read about your moral system and understand exactly where you went wrong, you do. I don't need to take it seriously. I don't need to dive into it and understand it. I, I don't need to. It's The onus is not on me. And I said something yesterday that someone pushed back on. I said, it's the onus is on the professors and the academics to explain this stuff in an actionable way. And someone said, the onus isn't on me. I don't have to. I will retract that. You don't have to. But if you don't, you should fully expect rational, smart people to reject out of hand your claims. You don't need to be taken seriously. We can dismiss you as an utter crank because if you are off doing your thing in academia and you don't think you need to make it explainable or applicable to anyone in any, any, any real way and other people have applied it and what they've applied makes it absolutely ridiculous and immoral and we push back on that, well, if you want us to not push back on it, you got to make it understandable and clear in some way that is defensible. You can't hide behind, I'm sorry, but you need to read all of Foucault. That's not an argument. That's not, you can't do that. That's not how that works. Your job, if you're in academia, is to work on stuff that actually can make a difference in reality. That's what you should be doing. I know no one's told you that before. I know people have said your job is to sit around and navel gaze and write PhD theses and, and pontificate about stuff that makes no difference to anyone in the world ever and has no relation to reality. And, and maybe people can pay you that who are super rich. They can pay you for that and they think it's amusing. But no one else gives a shit if that's what you're doing. We don't care. Society doesn't care about your crap. We care about the application of your crap. And if you're arguing that the application doesn't make sense and that we really need to go get our PhD in philosophy to understand the, the complicated nuances of why racism is good, F you. 
Your job is to explain it to us. And if you can't, find someone else to. And if they can't, and if you don't like the way they're explaining it, you've got to do it yourself. And if you don't, we don't have to take you seriously. You're welcome to sit in your corner and babble all you want and write all the crap that you want. But we don't, we are not obligated to take anything you say seriously. And I think we are being, as a society, as a liberal, and I'm using a classical liberal, we are being too nice. We are being too nice to these people. We're being too nice to academicians who sit around saying, well, I didn't really mean there's no objective truth. I didn't really mean that you could just, you know, dreams were equivalent to knowledge. Like, I didn't actually, you're just not understanding the nuance. F you. We don't have to be nice to you. We don't have to listen to you. What you are spewing is absolute nonsense. It's complete and utter nonsense. And if you can't explain how it's not nonsense and how it actually helps us in the real world, we don't have to listen to you, and nor should we, because listening to you is what is destroying the West. It's making us, we're wasting our time trying to give lend credence to these horrible ideas. And meanwhile, we've got radical racists taking over our entire political system. I'll yes. stop. I know that was a long rant. I had a couple of comments. <laughs> so someone in chat said, don't even try, Gary. They can see that you're like, I, I, I know. I, I, <laughs> I'll stop. Uh, first of all, uh, I think some people... Uh, I don't actually think if you're talking about Sam, who was in chat yesterday and who was sort of defending Foucault. I'm not. Um, okay. But just in general, I think there are, I'm not talking, then I'm not going to talk about him specifically there, but just in general, I have come into contact with some postmodernists and Marxists who, who are very academic and are often this, like you, I kind of agree, this sort of useless place of academia and theory where it has no relation to the real world. Um, I debated a Marxist a few years ago on another podcast. It, it ended up not airing, but it was the hardest conversation to have because, and he was, because he, he, I think he, 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 he was an avowed Marxist. I think he's also avowed postmodernist. I can't remember, but he, he, he didn't believe in objective truth. And he said that. So we didn't have anywhere so why to go. have from. a discussion. Right. So we didn't have anywhere to go from there. But my point is I've met some uh, self-described Marxist and postmodernists who oppose social justice ideology, this new beast of an ideology that we've everybody's trying to, to help define. Um, they oppose it. And this is the weird part. They, they oppose it because, and they also get really angry when you, some of them, when you compare it to Marxism the way that I do, or when you compare it to postmodernism, because they have, they, they draw a distinction between like I do. And it's almost like they can't hear you saying that you draw a distinction too, but they draw a distinction obviously between classical Marxism and this new social justice identity power kind of Marxism. And they draw a distinction between the old postmodernists and then like what Helen and James in their book called a applied postmodernism is what they're mm -hmm. trying to call social justice. Um, and I understand that, but I think sometimes they're so maybe uh, attached to uh the, that type of beliefs is they're so attached to Marxism or postmodernism and they're in such an insular world of theory and philosophy and academia where um, they just get sidetracked and they end up having what I consider a very useless conversations about the distinction between the old postmodernists and these new social justice. Wait, just let me finish. They end up having mm -hmm. these kind of useless discussions 
Um, and so I don't like, I don't really care. For example, I don't really care. I'm, I'm glad to hear someone like Sam explain what he thinks they got wrong about Foucault. But either way, Foucault's ideas are being used by these new applied postmodernists or these new social justice people. It doesn't matter if they're getting them wrong, they're using it. And it, it also, I mean, I don't, I mean, I just don't care. I think it's a useless conversation because it has no application to the real world arguing about whether Foucault really, really meant that there, whether some of these postmodernists really meant that there's uh, no objective truth or if they meant that there's an objective truth, but we can never come to it either. It doesn't matter. I don't care. The point is we are now faced with a new mutated ideology. And there are some people like, uh, like us, like Helen and James, like, um, uh, Jordan Peterson, like, uh, oh, there are all kinds of people who are trying to help Benjamin Boyce, who are trying to help define what this is and where it came from. And people are doing it in different ways. You know, Helen and James's book was the first book that I read that helped me think about it more in its relationship to postmodernism rather than in relation to, to Marxism. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I can still look at what this new mutated ideology is that we call social justice. And I can still see all the things wrong with it. It's collectivist. It's racist. It's sexist. It believes in violence. It, it you know, it's against the non-aggression principle. It believes in censorship. It is, it is ultimately a destructive, nihilistic, resentful, authoritarian belief system. It's illiberal. And I can see all those things. So I enjoy reading books like this to figure out like how it evolved, like how did we get here? And especially for people who want to know, like, how did this happen? There are people who, in books like this, that are trying to explain how it got here, but we're here now. So um, I don't, I don't, like you said, that the, the conversation sometimes when people want to get in the weeds over, well, Derrida actually meant this and Foucault, I don't care. Like, I'm, and I'm happy to read things if you want to send me and somebody did. People have sent me some articles to read where they're pushback on this book. Um, but what's more concerning to me right now is the real world stuff is how do we put the brakes on this and reverse this and get our society to and, and as many people as we can to think about the issues of individualism that all, to think about the principles we were founded on individualism, free speech, personal liberty and how those are at odds with this new popular ideology, this mutated ideology. I, how do we get, how do we do that? And how do we, um, uh, what do we do to push back against it? Because it's in, it's in all of our cultural institutions. It's in our schools. It's now in elementary schools. It's now in kindergartens. It's in all of our corporations. It's in the government. It's in our media. It's in the social media companies. Um, it's everywhere. They're getting, I just saw James Lindsay tweeting that they're getting, uh, they're, 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 uh, getting Chaucer, kicking Chaucer out of, I forget which college. Like it's like, they're, they're taking all the classics. They're taking, they are fundamentally changing, um, our education system. They are erasing history. They're erasing, um, classics. They're erasing foundational texts. They're, they're, um, trying to rewrite history from where we're at right now. And, this is a huge problem. Like everything that they talk about in the book that Helen James talk about in the book, it's sort of, they do get to the point, which is that this ideology is opposed to everything that, that gave us the progress that we've had and, and helped us get to where we are. And it threatens the very foundations of civilization. 
And that's really important. And so I, what I agree with you on and what I'm just kind of rambling now too, but what I agree with you on is that um, I'm happy to listen to people, but I, I, I think uh, like in the book, they say liberalism requires us to listen and consider. It does not require us to listen and believe. And I think we, we do tend to be too nice sometimes and give people too much of our time and energy um, because we want to model, I want to model my beliefs. And so they don't want to hear opposing ideology. Social justice people don't want any, they don't have any room for dissent or disagreement. As a liberal, I want to model what I believe, which is I'm willing, obviously, I think you should be able to speak your social justice racism and your disgusting evil ideas. Um, and and if you seem open and want to have a conversation with me, I'm, I want to do that. I want to model that because it's so rare that they do. But once you once you've gotten me, once we're, I find out that you're wasting time, it's not worth it. There's a lot more important things to focus on. So I agree with all of that. Yeah. The, the only thing I, I want to say is I do think it's it's not sufficient to just say, well, we're here now. Let's deal with capital, social capital justice and not worry about where it came from, because that's like saying there's weeds in my garden, I'm just gonna cut off the top of them because they're blocking my view and not worry about the roots or, or what caused the weeds. They will regrow in some other form. Um, and the fact is the, the social justice activists do use postmodernism to justify some of what they do, not, all, not only postmodernism, they also use critical theory. Um, they also use stuff that kind of like predates critical theory, Gramsci or whatever, I don't know if he counts as critical theory, but they, they use, they use lots of philosophers and lots of people in the past and lots of ideas to justify where they are. And it is, or to justify their, their activism claims. And it's incumbent upon us, if we want to actually weed the garden, to figure out how are they able to justify these? What are these things that they're using to justify these ideas? And how did these things fester? And are these things being misinterpreted completely? Uh, or are these things, do these things actually have culpability to some extent in this? And I would argue postmodernism absolutely has culpability. So does critical theory. Is it, is it a perfect, have they perfectly adopted postmodernism? Absolutely not. Of course not. But postmodernism is culpable. Most of the, most of the defense I see from actual postmodernists is, sounds something like this. Well, we didn't actually mean it. We're just having conversations <laughs> like, well, no, okay, most, most but, of the, but people take you seriously. Your words matter. Well, most of the disagreement I see is over um, what they talk about in the book, which is that the, the early postmodernists, they didn't believe in any meta narratives at all. Social justice ideology is different because it's like postmodernism mixed with Marxism, like a new a new kind of Marxism that's based around power and identity rather than around wealth and class. But it's different because it has a meta narrative. It's it is a, it is a religious belief system. It says this is you must go out. You ought to do this. This is the way to be good in the world. I, and that's I understand different. that. So they have that they have that disagreement because they're they're like, but postmodernism is about blah blah blah, or Marxism is about blah blah. I'm like, I know it is. This is some weird mutation that has elements of both, and I I just don't I don't. Well, I'm, my point yeah. is postmodernism developed tools to deconstruct and nitpick yes. everything all categories, which is, by the way, a destructive bad idea 
I mean, you don't need postmodernism to recognize that there are blurred boundaries of things and that we should look at the edges of, of things in order to figure out um, if there's injustices happening or other things going on. Like, you don't need postmodern philosophy to do that work. So postmodernism developed these tools, predominantly disconnected from reality, um, and said, well, don't worry, we're applying them to everything, including ourselves, we're just deconstructing everything. It's just nihilism. Okay, you can go be nihilist in your corner there, but when someone takes the weapons that you've built and uses them for a political agenda, you don't get to say, I have no culpability. I was just building nukes in the corner, but I never planned to use them. Like, okay, but someone did. Someone's going to come around and use the yeah. crap that you built. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it's, when I say too nice, I mean, non judge we withhold judgment because we're afraid that judging is somehow this horrible thing. And it's your responsibility as a thinking individual to judge ideas, not yeah. people necessarily, but you need to judge ideas. And you, no, can't, think and you can't just be like, well, that's their thing. I'm going to let them do their thing. It's not hurting anything. Maybe it wasn't hurting anything in 1960, but look what happened. <laughs> people took it to, and they used it to hurt things. Um, and that's, if we're going to protect enlightenment values and Western civilization moving forward, we have to identify bad ideas at their core when they pop up in philosophy departments. When someone starts running around saying reality isn't real or I don't believe in objective truth or, you know, you know, uh, language ideas. literally constructs reality. Like, okay, well, like, and it doesn't have to be them. You can go back to Hegel. Hegel literally said, he wrote that the state was like a uh, an instantiation of the universe's will. Like, okay, that's ludicrous and absolutely crazy. But a lot of these people have based, Marx based a lot of his crap off of Hegel. A lot of people based stuff off of really bad philosophy. And because people just let the philosophers run their mouths without any reality correspondence and no pushback, because who the hell cares about philosophy? That's what happens. Eventually, political people with political agendas use the academic um, body of work that's been legitimized by going through academia and getting cited a million times as if it's real, right? Peggy McIntosh writes a stupid article based on absolutely nothing, but it gets cited a bunch of times, and now suddenly white privilege in a knapsack is somehow science. It's somehow this this known known this body of knowledge that we just accept for real because it's been in academia for a while that's what happens to hegel that's what happens to all these people so i i think we've not had philosophic defenders of western civilization or at least not enough of them in in academia yeah for a long long time and without those people on the front lines fighting when bad ideas come in pointing out how they're horrible pointing out the consequences that they will lead to we didn't need we didn't need to suffer 100 million people dying of communism to know it was a horrible idea we didn't need to know we didn't plenty of people pointed out what would happen they were right they said this would happen this leads to death and destruction it's a horrible idea the philosophy is really bad it's evil we just chose not to listen so if we're only going to correct things after we kill 100 million people that's really not the optimal solution. We can correct them by figuring yeah. out now what is causing, what, what are the roots, what are the seeds that allowed this crazy ideology to flower and blossom? And 
if I were an avowed postmodernist and I was against the social justice stuff, I wouldn't spend my time arguing about with James and Helen about it's not actually postmodernism. Stop, stop using postmodernism. I would be yelling at the social justice warrior saying, you're misapplying Foucault. That's not what he, how dare you do that? That's yeah. what I would be arguing, yeah. but they're not. They're busy arguing against the people trying to defend Western civilization, which makes yeah. them concern trolls as far as I'm concerned. That's what I mean by being too nice. Well, uh, I agree. I'm just gonna, I, I don't know what mood I'm in today, guys. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I don't know what mood I'm in. I'm a bit, uh, I'm still in that overwhelmed mood. Uh, you know, what's happening right now is kind of a shock and awe. Remember shock and awe? We're yep. being shocked and awed by a relentless um, assault and acceleration of social justice in the past few weeks. It's been happening since June, but now they've kicked it up a notch and it's just, it's just constant and it's almost exhausting because you start to, I, I think that part of um, everybody, everybody pushes back against this in their own way. Um, one way that I try to do it is to continue to point out how bad these ideas are and when they crop up, you know, and to make fun of them and, and share articles and think like, look, here it is again here. Oh, look what they're doing in this school, you know, but they're so every once in a while you get so exhausted. Like, does this even making a difference? <laughs> is anyone, and I know it is, I know it logically, I know it is. I hear from people all the time who are waking up, have woken up people who watch our show, who used to be social justice um, like me and, um, and people who are conservatives who have said, thank you for helping, helping me understand this a little better, like what this is that I'm seeing. Um, I know it's helping, but some days you're just like, and I know you guys probably feel like this too in the chat. It's like, ah, like what, when, when does, when is there? It's never ending. This, yeah. It's in, if, if this is, this is a culture war, like we talk about this particular battle is just at that place where it's getting to be pretty exhausting. And you're like, when's there going to be a, uh, uh, a little drawback? like a little bit yeah. of a resting time because it just, it's coming from everywhere. By the way, speaking of which I just sent you an article. It's actually a news piece. It's a local news piece, I think from Tacoma, Washington. And I just wanted to highlight again. Um, this is a cult. My friend uh, Scott shared this and I saw it and it's very short. Um, but Look at the way they speak about, it's funny because I read an article uh, the past couple of days about, it was a very interesting article about Bitcoin, comparing Bitcoin culture to a religion. And mm. it was, that was very interesting to read about. And I actually, I think they have some good points. I've actually talked about it in that way before, because I have some friends who I call Bitcoin evangelists. <laughs> um, it is a bit like a belief. They call themselves some people. They call themselves that, right? Yeah. And so having read that and and looking at the language they were talking about that you see in often in, in um, belief systems that are like faiths, then I saw this. And, and look at this. This is called How to Begin Your Anti-Racism Journal. This is in a local news journey. site. Yeah. So how to believe, how to begin your anti-racism journey. And then the subhead subtitle is anti-racism is the active practice of making daily decisions that demonstrate your belief. Okay. This doesn't, this doesn't sound so culty that demonstrate your belief in equity as the norm. Why are you evangelizing to me, local news station? 
Do you have a similar article about how to begin your Christian journey or how to begin your uh, Muslim journey? Or is there are there any other faiths that you are um, acting as an evangelist for on a news station? I don't think so. Just this one, just this religion. Um, it just it just sickened me. Yeah. No, I, I agree yeah. with you. I agree. You know, I'm wondering if um, just based on your reaction to my ranting, I'm wondering if there's a uh, this is completely wrong think. So someone can clip this out and, and prove that we're evil or I'm evil, at least. Uh, I'm wondering if this is a masculine feminine thing. Generally, I think females tend to be higher on the agreeableness scale yeah. uh, than guys. And maybe there's a healthy balance there where the masculine energy tends to want to fight and push back on stuff, maybe a little bit too aggressively. And feminine energy is more like, well, you know, calm down. Let's like be more accommodating and try and understand. And I think we need a balance of those two things. And yes. I think society has become feminized in yes. the sense that we do not push back enough. Society, I look, I'll join you in your wrong thing. Society has become feminized. In fact, if you if you read um, Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning, a lot of people are, are not that one, the uh, 12 Rules for Life. A lot of the hit pieces on him were trying to say that, um, you know, because he was talking about chaos and order and, and chaos kind of representing the feminine, order representing the masculine. And of course, they took all of what he was saying out of context and they tried to do hit pieces saying he was a misogynist and he was saying that women are oh, chaotic and yeah, men yeah. are ordered. Yeah, which is dumb. You have to be a dumb person to believe that that's what uh, that means. You know means. what? I'll say this. All journalists um, are bad at statistics. Is that yes, it? but they're also dumb. A lot of them are very dumb. Yeah. Um, and anyway, the what what he was talk what he has talked about is uh, and I'm going to it's been a while since I've read this part of that book. So I might get some of this wrong, but I remember he seemed to be talking about how society itself has been pulled more. It's always about, you need a good balance between order and chaos. And we are in the chaos part right now. We are, are we need more order. And, and that doesn't mean, and of course they, they took that out of context and said, you know, he's for authoritarianism. And no, authoritarianism, right. no, we need to get back to a good balance of chaos and order. Um, and, and uh, I do believe that this has to do with, um, society to some degree being um, feminized in a pathological way, maybe um, the, Probably. yeah, the, it, it, not in a healthy way. Uh, and, you know, this whole instance <laughs> of you. Uh-oh, Tiger's interrupting us. Well, while she's doing that, I'm going to read a comment from uh, Cheeky Mare, which I can't put on the screen because it's flown by. But Cheeky Mare um, says, this is a super chat. She says, I have a moderate friend. She will not push back on her 13-year-old who comes home spouting SJW rhetoric. Path of least resistance slash too nice is harmful on mental and emotional growth. To her, push equals rude. Yeah, that's kind of exactly, you know, you just said really succinctly what I took forever to say, uh, Cheeky Mare. Yeah, I, I think that's. That's exactly that's exactly what I mean, um, and you can push back on your kid without worrying that they don't feel love. That's your own that's your own problem if you're worried about how you know them feeling love. Um, let's see, Justin Peterson says using the crap of other people using the crap of other people say or write Rousseau led 
if, even if indirectly to the French Revolution. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you can you can use ideas from other people. Um, <laughs> just, I don't know. This relates to ha- which is what I've talked about before, having your own integrated, uh, consistent philosophy, and then you can read what other people say and understand to the, ex- the extent to which it meshes with your uh, view of the world and your and what you know to be true, right? Like, you know, um, all right, this is going to sound like a tangent, but it's not because I also don't like how people talk about it. Actually, they said this in the book, and I don't like this. I don't like this way of describing science. Um, they say, well, we learned that Newton was wrong and, and Einstein was actually correct uh, because, you know, Newton had simple laws like F equals MA and we turn out later that actually, you know, energy is related to the square of mass and a constant and blah, blah, blah. So, okay. Um, Newton isn't wrong. Newton was an approximation. Newton was, Newton was right given the context of knowledge and we didn't throw away, science doesn't throw away the old theory as wrong. Einstein's relativity is an extension of Newton. It's a recognition that within the context of what Newton was explaining, uh, apples falling from trees or whatever, like normal objects of normal size moving at normal speeds, Newton is correct. It turns out that there are some secondary order parts of, of Newtonian mechanics. There's some secondary parts to physics that get thrown away for those things, and they kind of get distilled down to Newton when you're talking about an apple falling from a tree. And it turns out that if you're going to try and position satellites uh, in orbit and get accurate GPS, or if you're going to do subatomic physics, that Newton falls apart because those second order and higher order terms don't, they can't just be, they can't just go away. So you're not, Newton's not being thrown out. Newton's being refined as like, okay, that was a good approximation. It works in reality, but here's some fringe cases. It doesn't work in these fringe cases. Now we're going to expand our theory. And Einstein's relativity is an expansion of Newtonian physics. It's like, oh, actually, here's a better explanation that that touches those edges better and kind of distills down to Newtonian physics in most of the cases that we're using. We don't we don't stop teaching F equals MA in high school. We still teach it. It's not wrong. It's it's correct within a context. Our, our, the bounds of our knowledge expanded. The context expanded. You know, when Newton invented or discovered F equals MA, we weren't worried about how, you know, quarks behave in <laughs> subatomically, right? We weren't trying to position GPS satellites and, and get accurate positioning. We, we weren't doing that. We weren't dealing with stuff that moved at high, high speeds. We weren't dealing with subatomic particles. So I, this idea that, like, I don't even like this idea. I don't know why this has made me think of this, but I don't like this idea that like it it's wrong and we learned that it's wrong. Therefore, science is wrong. Like, no, it was right. It's still right. We just learned that the context, if we expand the context of our knowledge, we expand the context of our universe, it turns out that contextually it didn't work on these other things, right? Um, so, all right. I, I don't know why I even, I don't know what made me think of that. I'll go back to Super Chats. Uh, Swiftner Braveheart says, freedom of speech is guaranteed transmission. There's no guarantee of reception, let alone agreement. In true good faith, we freely assess our choice to speak or listen, but SJWs don't work like this. That is correct. That is correct. Um, all right. Sorry, Kara, are you back? I don't, I'm not hearing you. Are you muted? Uh, Elizabeth, this is not a super chat, but Elizabeth says water saves, but it also drowns. People need to think about how their good ideas could go wrong. 
uh, before they, oh, it just, the comment just went away, <laughs> but you're right. You do need to think about how your good ideas can go wrong and how they can be misused. That's it. That's the, I don't know. People don't think far enough sometimes. I think a lot of times people say theories are good when they're based on really, really bad starting points, right? Um, so, you know, reason is not just deduction. It also include, includes, it starts with induction. You reason from premises and those premises need to be induced from reality. And a lot of times you'll have really, really bad theory. And I will say Marx is one of them who starts with just bad premises. Um, and and then everything seems logical, but you know, if you're proceeding from crap, yeah, you can build a logical argument based on crap, but it's ba it's still based on crap. And it doesn't, to me, that means it doesn't look good on paper because you're not, you shouldn't be looking at it. Not like it's, it, it never started with the connection to reality. It never started with the connection to reality. Um, so who cares at that point, how good it looks, whether it's internally consistent is irrelevant if it never starts with an anchor in reality. Um, okay. <laughs> Keith, Keith, the hack guy says, hypothetically speaking, we could shoot a cannon at a government building using Newtonian physics and it would still work fine. Newton was mostly correct. <laughs> Keith, how dare you suggest such a thing? <sighs> All right, Carrie, are you, are you back again? House yeah. tiger. Are you going to okay. do more super chats or no? Um, that's all the ones I found. Okay. Hold on. Wait, there might be one more. Uh, uh, Pirate Tomsky gave a donation to Cheryl B. Knitting me a scarf. Donation for Cheryl B. Knitting me a scarf. I don't even know anything about that, but thank you, Pirate Tomsky. Maybe he wants a scarf from Cheryl B. And we're supposed to organize this. Do you know anything about this, Gary? No. So a uh, couple other things. Biden. I know we talked about some of this before on the last show, but um, the number of things that we're seeing him do now is a bit overwhelming. Uh, we already talked about how he um, revoked Trump's executive order against critical race theory being taught in federal labs with our government taxpayer money against this kind of indoctrination. He, the, the executive order that he revoked was an order against um, racial and sexual stereotyping and he got rid of that and he did his own executive order, which is uh, also littered with the word equity and is going to use a lot more of our taxpayer dollars for these equity initiatives and committees and just all of this racist crap. Um, so that's very disappointing. He also, there have been a couple things across my timeline. I don't know if you've seen this. I mean, obviously he's sent troops into Syria. He's also... Um, uh, he raised the price of insulin. Did you see that? I didn't see the raising of the price of insulin. Uh, troops in Syria, I think we talked about last week. Um, yeah. But yeah, he did that. He, um, I, I'm sorry, I didn't see the insulin one. I did see the Syria one. I did see, um, uh, let's see. Oh, maybe I, there was one other one. Oh, that he, he lifted the transgender. Uh, military ban. Military ban thing. Um, right. Got locked the, out of the White House, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, but I'm uh, talking specifically about the things that are upsetting people who voted for him. Um, the Keystone Pipeline. Mm -hmm. Have you been paying attention to that? The well, I mean, we talked about that as well. Did yeah. they do something other than revoke the permit? No, it's just that maybe you're not following online. There's a lot of people who voted for him who are now saying, why did he do this? 
Oh, they wanted. Thought, they didn't think he would revoke the Keystone Pipeline. Right, right. And in fact, there are all these these unions who are like, "Wow, we supported you. We had negotiations with you, and then you went and did this." And the same thing with the insulin prices. It's like, why would you be doing this? Um, he reversed Trump's executive order that reduced pricing for insulin and epinephrine for the poorest people. So now he's just made those drugs very expensive for low income people again. And there are a lot of people, um, the pipe, the pipe fitters union, for example, they're upset about the Keystone, uh, his Keystone decision. And so there seems to be a lot of people on, on social media now venting that, you know, this isn't what they voted for. And I just, I don't know. I think yes, it, it is. <laughs> it's exactly what you voted for. So sorry. Um, it's a, it's a lack of, to me, it just shows a lack of people paying attention. Um, I know some people have called, uh, who called Sertovich called these people low information voters, which I think is pretty accurate. It does. They don't have to be low IQ. I know a lot of smart people who voted for him, but there's certainly low information. And how do you become low information when you're very smart? Well, you are plugged into the propaganda machine and that's the only news you get. And you believe the lies, you believe the smears and you are manipulated by the fear that keeps you from checking out alternative media and listening to what people outside of the cathedral are saying. So you had no idea these things would happen. Well, that's on you. You are a low information voter. Um, yeah. I mean, um, uh, I, I, if you're getting your news from the mainstream media, don't be surprised if reality turns out to be different. Um, yeah. To come back and bite you in the bum. Yeah. Can we do a couple more super chats that I, yes. I apparently missed? Beverly's helping me uh, organize them here. One is from Swiftner Braveheart, who says, free market example from Carter's rant. I don't want to buy a fiat. I'm not going to burn time to shop one or allow time for sales -zer to pitch one, nor try to pitch them the truck I actually want. Yeah. Yeah. This is it's, it's talking about ideas. Like, I, I don't want an idea that's racist. So I don't I don't need to I don't need to hear the sales pitch details <laughs> of the racist idea. Um, another one from Maverick Buckley says Biden wants the UK to join the EU, UK to rejoin the EU for US trade deal. Uh, thoughts? Well, <laughs> I mean, Biden doesn't have control over what the UK does, thankfully. Um, obviously, I don't want the, e I don't like the idea of the UK joining the EU. Um, but I'm not a citizen of the UK. So who cares what I think? Um, you know, <laughs> the EU is like, we'll fix things by adding a layer of government that's less accountable. <laughs> I, I don't know how you think that's a good idea, but like, uh, okay. I mean, I don't, there's the, the EU, the, the UK doesn't need the EU. It's, it can negotiate its own trade deals and function just prop, just fine without the EU. Uh, I don't know why Biden wants them to join other than that Biden's a globalist and he's, you know, uh, on the side of the other EU people. Um, and I'm sure the EU wants the UK because the UK, because Brexit probably damaged the EU in a way that they're nervous about. Um, so Justin Peterson says he, he has a quote allegedly from Yogi Berra, which is in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is. <laughs> I love that quote. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that one. Um, 
Yeah, I, Carrie, let's see if I've got other. Um, I, I have some. Uh, I just sent you a clip. Can we watch this really quickly first? This oh. is very short. Oh, I saw this one. Uh, yeah, we can watch it, I guess. Well, we, I want to watch it because I think that exciting. No, but no, it is exciting to me that someone is on national television on the cathedral pushing back against critical race theory. But I also want to watch it because I want to talk about something that happened after. Oh, okay. Let's see. Uh, now, Bill Maher, as much as I don't like him, Bill Maher has hosted people who've said things that are counter-narrative um, often, right? It was, uh, that's where, who said the stuff, who was the one who said the stuff about Islam that got piled on that was on Bill Maher? Sam Harris. Was it Sam Harris? I was going to say yeah. Sam Harris, but I wasn't sure. All right, so let's see if I can pull this up here. And let's see if I can enable the sound, which is the hard part for me. All right. Towards equity, racial equity, and a focus disproportionately on outcomes is something that is rather new, but seems to have taken the country by storm. It's, and, it's yeah, almost the only thing people can talk about. Equity meaning as opposed to equality. Equity as opposed to equality. Which can you... I can give you a practical example of that. Yes. COVID, we were just talking about a moment ago. We know that the most vulnerable population when it comes to COVID are older people. That if I took people over the age of 55... Sure. That's 80% of the deaths. There have been actual conversations about prioritizing people on the basis of their race because COVID is said to disproportionately impact black people relative to white people. It is a ridiculous proposition, but it's a proposition that's found its way into the mouths of governors here in California, the, the pages of the New York Times. We're actively Why talking about this kind though? of ridiculous because we actually know when we look at the global impact of COVID in the United States, again, 80% of the people who are dying are older, around 18% of the people who are dying are black. A life lost to COVID is a life that matters. And we can well, focus on the people who are vulnerable without making this about race. Making it about race only obscures the actual issue. If, and you, separate, help, if you, you separate race from economic insecurity, sure, right? Like, like Hispanics are hospitalized at three, four times the rate as, of white people for a variety of reasons. For a variety of They're essential workers. Right. They're riding the bus from Boyle right, Heights here, to Beverly Hills. But the important that, point is that it's not fundamentally about race. You can't un-Hispanic them. There may be different issues in their communities. It could be that they live in, well, in homes with more people. It could be that they live in more urban centers. If that's the case, the policy you're tailoring is for people in urban centers, not Latinos. This is a confusion of categories that is actually distracting us from forging good policy. What you get is great sound bites. You right. don't actually fix problems. It always, it, it, it makes people, there's this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things, by the way, that he's, what he's talking about is, is very important. I have seen this. I have seen. Um, them saying that we need to prioritize people based on race. We read some articles. Uh, I think one was in either the Washington Post or the New York Times where they basically were saying, well, some old white people need to die anyway. <laughs> They're kind of like, well, yeah. well. and, yeah. the, and when, when people point out, well, uh, why are, uh, when, when they say, well, we need to prioritize uh, black people or Latino people because it's a matter of economic disadvantage and then if you respond, well, then let's prioritize people with economic disadvantage. They, they still say no. 
They still want to do it based on race, which is, which he's making a great point. It's not about race. Um, I, but anyway, what I liked about him, A, is that you're seeing someone on the cathedral in the, you know, on legacy media who's speaking against equity and against critical race theory. Great. And it helps because these people listening to him, these people who believe in this racist social justice belief system, they are racist. And they do say, they claim, they claim that they give more credit to you when you're speaking and if you're a black person. So because he's black, maybe they will listen. Maybe they'll actually live out what they claim to believe and listen to him more. Probably not. But, you know, I don't know. I heard that black men are the white men of the black community. So, oh, yeah, that's uh. they said that. So (laughs) but I like that he's out there speaking. So what happened to him afterwards? Well, he got inundated with a lot of racist hate mail. Uh, from Mm -hmm. people in the social justice world, which is very unsurprising. He was pelted with it on Twitter. And I just sent you one example. We don't need to look at all of it. I just sent you one because this really encapsulates for me what kind of white person is attracted to social justice ideology. A lot of racist people, whether they're black or white, Latino, whatever, a lot of racist people are attracted to social justice Um, And that's no different for white people. There's a lot of racist white people who are attracted to it because it's a racist belief system. (laughs) Um, So look at this. Look at this one in particular. If we can put this up. Actually, I can't just show people your signal. Okay. Download them and. Okay. uh, Our friend Obeyed Omer, who if you're not familiar with him, you should check him out. We did an interview with him uh, on Unsafe Space. And Obeyed Omer posted this and I just thought, okay, out of all of the racist hate I saw going towards uh, Kamali for that appearance, um, this was just the, I don't know, like the perfect example. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think I've got this. I think I've got this queued up. Okay. Um, Let's take a look at uh, here. Should we start with the one you can see who this person is? Well, let's show his tweet first. Okay. And And then let's look at him. All right. All right. So let's see here. Here he is. Uh, well, this is this is Obeid tweeting, Obeid saying, this is your mind on critical race theory. Uh, and this is what he's saying. Uh, Kamel is a great house. I'm not even going to say this word on YouTube because I don't want to. Uh, N-E-G-R-O. Slave masters of old would be proud and give him an extra cup of shit to eat for his performance. And can we end with the picture? Oh, wait, that's not the picture. There There he is in all of his glory. There's the man protecting. Yeah, There's the I, anti-racist slash yeah, racist. I, I just wanted to show you what this guy looks like because this is the proud white guy who is proud of his racism, proud of saying racist things to a black guy. And if you go to his Twitter profile, well, shocker, surprise, surprise. He thinks he's fighting against racism. He's got a social justice profile. He thinks this is how you fight racism is to call a black guy who opposes critical race theory a house inward. And to say that slave masters want to have him eat crap out of a cup. Like, what is wrong with you? But I know what's wrong with you. Fuhrer. 
I know and, what's wrong with you. And I know what's wrong with you is, is that you, you, there are a lot of racists who are attracted to social justice. There's also well-intentioned people. Don't, don't get it me wrong. I, I know a lot of well-intentioned people who are in it because they, they believe the, the crap that it sells, that this is about ending racism. There are a lot of people in it who think they are working to end racism. This guy, I think, is probably deep down, I think he has some prejudiced racist beliefs because you don't say stuff like this. The ones who are in it with good intention, they don't say stuff like this. They don't. There's different types of social justice warriors and they don't say stuff like this. But this guy says stuff like this, which I think reveals his dark racist heart. And, and he gets to dress up. He gets to dress up in a costume of social justice and anti-racism. And now he gets to hide his racist beliefs and his prejudice in this cloak of anti-racism. He gets to pretend that he's, he's saying racist things in the pursuit of ending racism. What a sick person. I, um, there's a ton of people like this too. There's a ton of comments like that too. And it's not surprising. Yeah. I, I, it's it's like the it's like the phenomenon we've talked about with respect to the Me Too movement in Hollywood in particular, where um, someone gets caught for something, and their reaction is, "Well, that's just how guys are. All men really need to be better. Like yeah. we should all be better." And it's like, "No, no, 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 no. You're that way. Not all men. All men aren't that. Just just you." So yeah. I think when someone like this sees um, Robin DiAngelo's claim that all whites are are racist and evil. He looks inside himself and goes, yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah, we're all exactly. racist, aren't we? Right? And exactly. then and then he's like, let's all let's all get better because you know, rejecting that claim is an admission that oh, actually only he's racist. It's like Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not everyone. He, he's he's special. Um by so, the way, someone said we can't use the N E G R O word. We can I don't think there's anything bad with that. I'm just I'm trying to be a little bit more cautious of YouTube's automated AI algorithm, and I imagine they'll, they'll just catch it. Um, but maybe not. Maybe I should say it anyway. No, who cares? I don't need to find it. Why say that? Um, here's one from Ministry of Truth. Thank you for the super chat. He says hmm. CRT and systemic racism will be used by the true racists, the KKK, etc., as a recruiting tool. Only in North Korea or in the Middle Ages is there inherited guilt. Inherited guilt. Yeah. Inherited guilt. Um, well, the first part of that, the first sentence, I absolutely agree with. It's already being used by, because they they agree on so much. Social justice people in the KKK, I mean, they agree on like probably 90, I would say 95% of what they say is the same. The one difference is white supremacists in the hierarchy of racism or, or, you know, they both believe that you're supposed to judge people based on race and put people in these racial categories. They're both collectivists. Um, they believe that white people are at the top of this racial hierarchy and, ha you know, and, and uh, critical race theory, social justice people put white people at the bottom. But strangely enough, they put them at the bottom while also agreeing with white supremacists that white people own culture and math and enlightenment right. values yeah. Yeah. and the ability to be on time and the ability to, uh, uh, you know, achieve success and, and achieve in school academically. Like weirdly enough, they agree with white supremacists on all that stuff. It's very bizarre. Um, but you know, yeah, they have a lot in common and they are, they are helping 
they are helping the KKK recruit. Maybe we should just call the social justice anti-racist people white supremacist because I don't see a big <gasps> distinction. Yeah, well, they are. There are only differences that they say um, they say white people own all this stuff the same the same way that the KKK does. The difference is that they say they ought not to. And the KKK, the well, white supremacists no, they don't would say, say they, they ought, ought not to. to. They say society ought not to be organized around those things because they're Yeah, white you're people. right. You're right. They don't say they ought not to. They say society ought to be organized around other things. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And some of them are actually separatists, right? Some of them actually are like, white people should take their reason and logic and go somewhere else. Like, that's pretty... I mean, I think the KKK would just like be win 100% agreement on that, right? Yeah, so it's a very fine line. <laughs> very hey, fine line. I know what we should, de I know if we should, if we're going to employ deconstructionism techniques, maybe we should deconstruct the boundary between anti-racism and white supremacy. Yeah. Yeah. Because there that. isn't one. Let's uh, talk about blurring those boundaries. I'll fight you naked gives us a super chat and says the EU is psycho authoritarian. They were talking about making it illegal to criticize immigration po uh, police as hate speech. Well, I did not hear, I haven't heard that, but it doesn't surprise me in the past four years, I've seen a lot of crackdowns on uh, free speech in the, in the, uh, in the UK. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I mean, obviously you guys, you don't have a, a first amendment. So it's going to progress there faster than it does here. We've um, seen although, cops show up at people's houses for tweets. Um, yeah. And lots of, lots of crap going on in the UK. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Mickey the fourth gives us a hundred check somethings. Check dollars. CZK. I think it's check. Maybe it's something else. Someone correct me. Um, and says, have you heard of the channel Radical Liberation? Austrian econ-based geopolitics and economics analysis of historical topics. I haven't, but it sounds actually really good. I will be there soon to talk about uh, Chechi's relation to the EU and our politics. Oh, oh cool. Um, we will check Czech's it out. Relation. Czechi has, I'm not even sure how to say that word. Radical. But I was right about the Czech part. Okay. Uh, I w yeah, maybe, and maybe we should um, we'll go find the host and have a conversation with him. That's, that's awesome. Penumbra Syndicate, thank you, says, Carrie, good call on low information voters. Example, I have a friend who is smart but keeps calling for bipartisan solutions this week. Well, yeah, I know a lot of smart people who, I, I like with high, I, I would say smart in that they have high IQs, very dumb in that they do not have right. common sense and they are currently seduced by or held prisoner by of their own choosing by uh, propaganda who voted for okay. Biden. And uh, it's weird. It's like people who call for bipartisan solutions. That would that would have been me even as recently as a year ago. I just think um, you're not paying attention if you think that we're not in that world anymore. I'm not. I don't view things as like if you if you think the two parties yeah. are that different, they're not. They're Democrats and Republicans. It's rare. You get occasional politicians who are not as are not a part of the machine as much as others who are not as compromised occasionally. And sometimes they're Democrats and sometimes they're Republicans, but for the most part, it's a machine. It's, it's all a scam. The duopoly. Right. I, I mean, 
I don't know. We need bipartisan solutions from these two parties who are almost exactly alike, <laughs> but who keep us divided along party lines so that we stay in this two party system and keep voting. I, I was thinking, uh, can I say something funny? <sighs> yeah. Uh, okay. So you know how my old, um, business partner and, and you're, who's a friend of mine who Carter also knows, uh, spent the last four years working on a nonprofit to help get out the vote. And I'm very proud of her. Actually, she did a great job and, and got a lot of, um, musicians to do free concerts. If you showed up to vote, if you showed that you had an, I voted sticker or whatever. And then I don't, I don't know how they dealt with it virtually with all the mail and stuff, but basically they had, I think, um, live stream concerts and, I have moved a lot on the position of voting in the past four years. At the beginning, when I started this podcast with Carter, I would have been the first to say, like, without having ever really thought about it, just taking for granted that, yeah, you should have, we should have more people voting. Like, should make it really easy and have the most number of people possible, <laughs> which is what, which is what a lot of non-thinking people say. But now. Because it's taken as a given without examination that more voting is good. Like no one even questions it. It's not, it's not ever presented as a thing to think about. Yeah. It's, it's just a truth. Yeah. And so the more I thought about it over the past four years and after hearing you talk about it, the more I thought, no, it should be, it, it should not be easy to vote. It should not be mail. And you should have to go and stand in line and verify your ID. I mean, you, you stand in line um, for 20 minutes for a caramel macchiato. I mean, the least you can do is stand in line to cast your ballot if you hey, care that much. Try going to the and, DMV. Right. And you, you, uh, if it's something you care about, it, it you will do it. And and secondly, you shouldn't have to be bribed with free concerts. It's like, <laughs> hey, in order, you know, right. you know who we need voting? The kind of person who won't vote unless we give them a free concert. Like, well, I didn't care that much to vote, but I really wanted to see that uh, Fleet Fox. Lady show. Gaga. Like, <laughs> you know, I was not that motivated to vote, but then they were like, you know, uh, with some, I don't know, what some crap. But, but then Justin Timberlake was, I got a free concert if I would, like, I don't need those people voting. <laughs> I don't want them <laughs> voting. If you need to be bribed, like, why? Why are you? So I was thinking about it, and I know that you were primarily a non-voter, but until recently you voted because you thought it was very important. Um, and I've always been, I was always a straight down the ticket Democratic voter until 2018. You know, I voted for yeah. a Republican and then Anyway, I was I, I was talking with my fella and he has typically been a non-voter. He he's more like you. He voted this time, but he we were joking. Oh, Tiger does not like that. <laughs> I'll I'll read a super chat while she's dealing with Tiger. Uh this super chat is from Mickey the Fourth, who says, You pronounce correctly the word check. Now just add Ia and it's Czechia great uh currency is crown and if you check the channel out i could potentially get you on awesome well we will definitely check the channel out thank you mickey uh we will follow up with you um okay just let me finish this so here's what yeah, I was sorry go ahead what if we started a nonprofit um called don't vote and we bribe you not to vote and this you is my dream <laughs> <laughs> you know how long I've wanted to do that, Carrie? <laughs> because, hear me out. I know you want to do it, but in case anybody in the audience thinks this is crazy. 
every time we vote, and especially this time, since they say it was like the largest turnout ever, which I don't know if I believe that, but if it's true, well then look at how much we just showed them that the sheep, we just all just showed them that we believe in the system. It's like, oh, oh, look how many people participated in the system this time in the theater of this right. election. And, and so I'm almost like, you know what, if, if enough of us quit voting, the system might fail. If enough of us said no more. So what if we had, what if we had, I don't know if it would be in jest or in seriousness, but what if we had a nonprofit called don't vote, we organize our own performers or whatever bribes we want. If you prove you didn't vote, then you get to How come do you prove to the show. <laughs> <laughs> you have to prove you're not registered. You like look up your name and yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I've, I, the, the thing with all those like rock the vote and all that kind of crap uh, is it's also, it's targeted at, I mean, A, you get the wrong people by self-selection because you're, you're getting people, like you said, who <laughs> I wouldn't vote except for, I you know, I get to hear Lady Gaga or whatever it is. Um, but also... Um, you end up with, it's usually like, think about the people who are going to be influenced by a rock the vote thing, right? They're probably young and uninformed, um, because those are the people that tends to go to those kind of things more. I mean, like who listens to Billie Eilish, right? I mean, not a lot of, you, you know, a lot of hedge fund managers, not that we want a lot of them did voting you say, either. But did you say Billy, Billy Idol? Billie Eilish. I'm, I'm just I'm making an, an old person's oh. joke. <laughs> oh, okay. I only know who she is because of my daughter, and I always call her Billie Eilish, which pisses my daughter off. But um, yeah, I mean, imagine imagine a thing where it was like, well, as soon as you file your corporate taxes, you automatically get registered to vote. People would be so angry about like, how how dare you? How dare you encourage CEOs and 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 people with businesses to vote. Um, no, no, we have to encourage people who uh, <laughs> who are going to think about voting only in the middle of a concert, because that's when they, that's when they think about voting. I, yeah, right. I don't think so stupid. I don't know. And, 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 you know, and the more I thought about it, I mean, you have for anyone who's new, they may not know you, you believe that if you receive a paycheck from the government, you should not be able to vote. Because you, have a, because you have a conflict of interest. And you believe that not just about politicians, but about people on uh, government Everyone. programs. And you believe that about the military and the police, don't you? Military, police, government contractors, anyone who gets any kind of government assistance, anyone on unemployment, anyone who gets any, anyone who derives money from the government. If you get money from the government... I believe you have a conflict of interest. And I know a lot of conservatives are like, how dare you not let the military vote? They're giving their lives for blah, 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 blah. You know what? Because I stand on principle. It's still a conflict of interest. Even if I might like the way that they're more likely to vote, it's still a conflict of interest. They're getting their paycheck from the government. So, and by the way, I think that if you are someone who uh, believes that the military votes more the way that you want and are pissed off about that, I think if we got rid of all the military voting and all the other things I'm talking about, you'd still end up on the better side of that balance sheet. Like things would still work out for you um, because there's a hell of a lot more people getting their money from the government through uh, welfare and other programs than are getting paid from the military. So, but yeah, I, like you're a, you're a bureaucrat, you work in, you're, you're part of the deep state, you work in some government job. No, you can't vote. 
And why should you be able to vote? It just what doesn't about, make any sense. And, and on like public school teachers too, right? Like that would. I mean, yes, public. If you're if you're funded publicly, I, you know, I could I could see an argument for if you're at a public school that receives zero federal funding, then you can vote in federal elections, but you can't vote in elections that are uh, related to where your funding comes from. Like, I, this is and, and I and people think this is such a crazy idea, and like, how dare I be against universal suffrage? And it's they have a right to be heard in any other election. And any other thing, like we recognize conflict of interest, we like other like private things, we recognize conflicts of interest, and we and we avoid them. Like this isn't. I didn't make up the idea of recognizing that people have conflicts of interest and need to be removed from the equation when they have a conflict of interest. It's not. It's not. This isn't. It's not that crazy. But people get really upset about it because uh, universal suffrage, universal suffrage, which by the way the founding fathers were terrified of and tried to prevent universal suffrage from being a thing that could affect the politics of the country too much. Like, that's why we have representatives. That's why we have a constitution that theoretically limits what the hell people can vote for. Yeah, like, you're not supposed to be able to vote. You Like, theoretically, all these gun control laws are illegal. They're unconstitutional. They're, they're, they actually, you can vote for them, but they're actually, the founding fathers imagined that these would all be thrown out because they're clearly unconstitutional. You actually can't vote for that stuff. You're not allowed. You don't get to have a say in taking someone else's guns away. You don't. Oh, that's, you mean that's with the idea. The public votes on the gun gun control laws. Yeah, they're not supposed to. It's not supposed to be up for public. Even con- e- even the Senate, even Congress, like even the executive branch, they're, they're like the Constitution makes it clear they're not allowed to do that. The fact that they do it and everyone ignores the Constitution is like okay. I I get that that's what goes on, but. That's that wasn't the intent at all. The you know th- this idea that like somehow the will of the people is better than the principles laid out in in the Constitution is ridiculous. That's not at all what was intended by the founding. And by the way, it was progressives. I believe it was progressives who first pushed this idea in the late nineteenth century. This idea that like well. Uh, we need to progress beyond the, the 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 Constitution made sense at the time, but that's it's old technology, and we need to update it for the new era. Like that that's progress. That's a progressive attitude, and clearly there were some problems with the Constitution. I mean, there was slavery and and that kind of stuff embedded in it that needed to be fixed. But that's not what the progressives meant. They they meant like oh well, you know. These ideas, these ideas, the, the principles on which the Constitution were built, were like they worked then. But principles can't survive hundreds of years. We need to update our principles, and they and they moved away from the idea that there were natural rights that were being enshrined by the government or recognized by the government in the Constitution, and toward the idea that there was this ever accruing set of rights. There would be a right to health care and a right to, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. What, what else right to housing a right to food like they believed they, they believe that these things are rights but those aren't rights they were their goal was to to, to throw away the natural law-based idea of individual rights and replace it with this this bastardization of the concept of rights that was like goodies that we think mama government should provide let's move that way i mean that's why i hate progressives as, well, not progressives as people but that's why i hate progressive ideology it's never been about individual rights ever it was originally about destroying the concept of rights. That's what it was about. So, I would you know. push. I would push back on that just a little. I I think it was about helping 
people and helping uh, people who Those fall. are called charities, not progressives. I know, but I'm saying that's no, but that's what the belief system is about. And that's what a lot of progressives believe in is, you no. know, it's just that they see the government as being responsible for that instead of well, what makes them progressive and not and not compassionate charities is is the government is their view on the government's role that's what makes them progressive right someone who who isn't doesn't have that view but still believes we should help people and runs charities is not called the progressive they're right. called the progressive precisely because they want to undermine the concept of rights they think it's the government's job to, to take undermine care of the concept of rights <laughs> yes to, to take like. care of people by undermining the concept of rights but yeah but i mean this is, i mean look up progressives historically that that's what that is right they they didn't make I'm not putting words in their mouth. This is what they said. Right? I know, is, but they, is, right? I just want to make sure I put that part in there. Is, it's in order to take care of people. That's what they think will happen. Whatever. The road to okay. hell. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they can, it's to save the children. Okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's do some super chats, though, because we are behind. Um, another one from Mickey. Uh, says, also, anytime I hear Europeans don't have First Amendment, I cringe so hard. Every European country except the UK has it. Uh, it's much more nuanced. I can explain further, but it's over my super chat budget, LLL. Yeah, I got that wrong in the past. Um, I know the UK doesn't have stuff, but I know other countries do have something similar, maybe a little bit more nuanced. So we should, that's a good point I was talking about the UK. I said the UK. Yeah, I think you were. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know that uh, but I've I've said I've said that erroneously in the past about other countries, um, in Europe. Andrej Andrej Merrick says, "What about scaling the weight of your vote by a score on a test during the vote? I have the test printed on the ballot and fill it out during the vote. Rearrange questions and answers to prevent cheating." Well, I mean, this that's the worst idea I've ever heard because guess who gets to write that test? <laughs> I mean. Who's in charge now? You want social justice warriors to write a test about what racism is? And that's, I mean, th that's just like, that is giving the deep state power over who votes. That's what that is. I mean, I don't, that's just the worst. Um, Kate Pants plus two <laughs> says, I'm a CPS worker, uh, worked at, slash worked at social services for 15 plus years. Recently, we've been getting more reports of parents, uh, making little SJWs as if building an army, taking them to Antifa riots and trying to force sex change surgery on a six-year-old. Oh. It's nuts. Uh, and oh, it, nuts is uh, polite. You're being polite. It's evil. But yeah. I've, I've actually, we've covered this on the show before, um, just seeing parents who are caught up in this ideology, the social justice ideology, some of them who are pushing it, obviously pushing it on their kids instead of it being the kids uh, learn, you know, being, being indoctrinated at school or coming home and, and telling that we've seen it both ways, but we have seen parents who are pushing it on the children, almost like their kids are some kind of accessory, uh, a virtue signaling badge that they want to hold up and say, look, I have a trans kid. Um, that is very sad. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that you are dealing with that. But I, I'm also glad that someone like you is aware of, you're aware of what you're aware of if you're in that job. I'm glad someone like you is in that job. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Swiftner Braveheart says, as a veteran, 
Uh, I agree with conflict of interest vote criteria. Service members already give up a substantial opportunity and latitude to exercise our rights. Net benefit is worth the loss of my vote. Yeah, just to be clear, once you're done, you're, you get your vote back. It's just, just, it's just while you're getting paid. It's not like you've, you, know, you ever get paid. It's similar to like if you're on welfare. You, know, you get off welfare, then you get your vote back. That, that's fine. Um, so it's, uh, I'm not arguing that veterans shouldn't be able to vote. Um, but you know, I, we're in a culture in which people expect the service members because, because we're being, because the threat for so long has been, um, coming from the left in a way that people view the military and military members as we'll use Jordan's language because it's been chaos. People like the order from the military to balance the chaos. And they're afraid of, of, of removing that influence. Um, but the fact is, uh, sometimes in countries, the threat comes from the order, not the chaos. And it's a very real threat. You don't want a system in which soldiers have special rights uh, by virtue of the fact that they're soldiers because they are clearly, I mean, A, they go through indoctrination, which I'm not criticizing necessarily, but that's intentional. They've got to like learn to obey. They've got to learn to go uh, unquestionably uh, execute the commands of their superior officers. Um, they're very beholden to the current uh, status quo of the government. Like all that stuff is important for fighting and protecting our, our country against outside threats, but it also can metastasize into a threat on its own if it's just taken as, um, if it's, if it's worshiped. Can I do one? The gay rascal. Yeah, yeah. The gay rascal says, thank you, sir. He says, uh, Heinlein was right about many things. Is he talking about the moon is a harsh mistress? Well, Heinlein wrote a lot of stuff. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope. Um, uh, thank you, sir. Cheeky mare. Cheeky mare was in book club yesterday. Mm -hmm. She says, she gives us a super chat and says, I worked the polls. We had so many first time voters that were told to vote Democrat and had no idea what they were voting for. Just doing what family says. Yeah, I believe yeah. that. I know they were very good, by the way. According to Cernovich, who I follow on Twitter, uh, one, the Democrats were very good at getting out the vote this time and doing doing legal ballot harvesting. In his in his opinion, I don't know. Sure. I tend to I sure. tend to he's someone that I uh, I generally trust what he's saying about stuff. Uh, Kate Pants. Oh, we already did that one. And yeah. Martin Hickey. Thank you, Martin. Says I aspire to the system in Starship Troopers and only those <laughs> who have completed a service of the nasty That's start timely. after service they can vote, not before. Yeah. So. <laughs> That I don't like about uh, Heinlein, but yeah. Um, <laughs> you want to do Kevin Collins? Kevin, Kevin Collins says, go ahead. You do that it. asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Tatiana. Hi, Tatiana. She says, focusing on rights, not what is right is bad. Mm -mm, I disagree. It depends on the context. In the context of politics, we can focus on rights because the government shouldn't be telling us what is right. Um, so uh, I think if all you do in your life is focus on what you're allowed to do, on on rights, what rights you have, yeah, I agree it's bad. Like you, 
you need to be worried about what is right. Like that's, but, um, but if you're if you're trying to build a uh, a government that's not a theocracy, you need to like individual rights need to be your focus, um, and rights are included in what's right. It is right to, to enforce individual rights. Those are right. So those those individual rights are, I would say, a minimum subset of and maybe even a maximum set of of what governments should be protecting is your your individual rights beyond that it's your job to figure out what's right uh, yes you know and actually toby cosmo which is not a super chat says is right to who yeah so that's the question uh, which is why you don't want the government involved in this right when you say this is right the the question is like to whom for what reason for what purpose like all this stuff comes is it right to eat junk food well for you sometimes maybe right if you're talking about moral rights uh sure but those those are actually can be collapsed pretty clearly to individual rights right um things that violate people's individual rights are immoral so uh that can be that can be pretty clear all right i think we're done with the super chats let's, yeah let's let's do some can i here i i want to there's something else I want to bring up. It's not a huge thing, but uh, I know the election stuff is over. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me just read oh. this because this is related to what we're saying. This is a great oh, question. Okay. G-Man gives us a super chat and says, Carter, veterans should be able to vote, but not disabled veterans who get a check from the VA. Many people get some benefit from the government that is not monetary. Should those mm -hmm. folks also not get to vote? Oh, that's I an think interesting that's point. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe, maybe if you're getting a check in compensation for some harm that was done to you, I could see an argument being like there being an exception for that. Um, yeah, like I mean, there's you know, there's probably exceptions. Um, this is a, you know, it was a three sentence rule. So if there's, <laughs> there might be nuances. I could see an argument being made for that. Like similarly, if like think the government wronged you in some way and you sued in one and you're they're paying out for a course of 10 years like well that doesn't count as being beholden right because they're paying for what they the harm they inflicted yeah so i i can see i can see um edge cases like that where you know um it's an issue i want i just want to so carrie do you remember <clears throat> the washington post how do you how the washington post feel about mail-in voting Oh, I know what you're going to talk about. Well, well, now the Washington Post is uh, in uh, before they were totally happy with it. They were happy with it. They felt like it should be done for COVID and to make sure everyone gets to vote and there would be no problems with it, that it's safe and we secure and there's no potential for fraud. We should definitely do universal mail and voting. But now I know they feel differently. Why? Yeah. Well, I mean, mail-in mail ballots are great and fine and everything. Now, Washington Post is owned by, for those who don't know, uh, Jeff Bezos, who is also the CEO and founder of Amazon. Well, what do you know, Carrie? What do you know? It turns out, it turns out, and I know this will shock you, that might not have been a principled stance that the Washington Post took. It might have been a stance based on an agenda, and they might be willing to flip that stance. Maybe Bezos doesn't really 
have a principled stance about mail-in voting. Let's take a look here. Well, guess what Amazon's doing? <laughs> Amazon is in the middle of a, there's a, uh, people at their Bessemer warehouse um, are going to vote on, on uh, whether to unionize or not. And Amazon, Amazon's actually quite concerned about mail-in voting. Because what if it turns out that mail-in voting is problematic? And so here, let's find, let's find the right window here for you. So <clears throat> Amazon filed a few uh, legal documents with the National Labor Relations Board in an attempt to stop or forestall the upcoming mail-in vote. Um, hey, they say this, this election case presents a perfect storm. Um, there could be errors, opportunities for missed, missed mail-in ballot improvements. Hey, the rights of thousands of employees are at stake. You can't let mail-in voting continue. We seek the immediate intervention and a stay of a mail ballot election currently scheduled to start February 8th. Oh, okay. Let's, uh, let's just take a look. One of their things, I haven't read the whole filing, but I've read some of it. Here's one of the most salient points here. The board should adopt a workable standard that promotes manual elections. Oh, 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 that's what they want. Or alternatively, mixed manual mail elections. They don't like this prolonged use of mail ballot elections. And they go on to make an argument uh, about what outbreaks should mean and why we don't want mail-in uh, elections. We don't have to go into the details of this too much. The important thing here to note is that it turns out mail-in voting is problematic. Uh, you got to be careful. I don't know why no one said this before. I mean, maybe the Washington Post could have written something about it before, but it turns out it's a problem. And actually, Jack Posobiec tweeted about this, and he was just talking about the Amazon case, and he excited the Amazon case, and Twitter still flagged his tweet yeah. as like, hey, uh, you know, stop questioning mail-in voting. Uh, so sometimes yeah, but- sometimes the censors have to catch up with themselves. Oh, totally. Um they also, I think, didn't they take his tweet down at some point? I don't know if they took it down or not. Oh, okay. um, but you can't, but, you, they don't like when you point out the hypocrisy and the way it doesn't make it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait a minute. I thought uh, mail-in ballots were cool uh, when it comes to a presidential election. No big deal. But now with the, Okay. Um, They're fine for presidential elections, but when you're talking about unionizing Amazon warehouse employees, then you ought to be really careful. I mean, the important stuff like unionization of employees, that you need to take seriously. Uh, The presidential election, I mean, who cares? Who cares? It's not a big deal. Right. A couple of of super chats. This is from Thomas St. Thomas who's part of our unsafe space team. And he was also in book club yesterday. Thomas uh, notes that Carter just took away my rights to vote. LOL. Still my <laughs> man. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I have, I don't talk about this much, but I started my career in uh, the defense industry and I would happily have given up my vote like that. Like, okay, so I can't vote for a few years. Who cares? Um, I didn't know Thomas still uh i didn't know that i was taking his vote away but yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean you can't run for office though thomas uh, nerdy girl nerdy girl this is one beverly put up uh that we missed nerdy girl gave a super shout and says thank you so much for being a beacon of light during these times i'm so glad i discovered you guys last summer 
congrats on the engagement, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you, nerdy girl. <laughs> I'm real excited. I'm really excited. Um, okay. And then I think that's all. Did I miss well, there's anything? Mickey the fourth again comes back and says, I want non-discriminatory voting rights, a universal ban on voting that does not discriminate against anyone and justly rids of democratic tyranny. <laughs> so that is also <laughs> a nice universal solution. Uh, no voting. No voting. Uh, uh, here, here's my only problem with no voting. I don't have a better solution than, than currently, I don't have a better solution proposal for uh, if you want a government, which we can get into at some other point. Uh, if you want a government, I don't really have a better solution than some sort of constitutionally limited republic setup. But like you've got to, I, I don't know what else there is. Uh, so um, we could talk about how to tweak things so that they lasted longer and didn't get corrupt so horrible, uh, horribly. Maybe I, I sometimes wonder if the only thing we did was outlaw government education very clearly, if that alone would have stopped uh, the descent into hell that we are currently on. But I don't know. I don't know. Carrie, I don't know if you know, I just want to share some stuff with you. Uh, we're COVID's over in California now. Oh, I know. Well, look, Did you hear? I heard uh, Newsom's opening up. This. What changed? What I happened? don't know. I mean, it could have been that maybe, um, maybe there was a, a savior was elected in Washington. Somehow. A messiah? Was be. there a messiah? Did they <laughs> get the person? Messiah. Did they get I the have... person they wanted in? <laughs> I have, you know, you know, the citizen app. I do not. I don't know what that is. Um, it's like, a. it's supposed to be about crime in your area and they like report incidents of crime and they're like plugged into the police. And also like people can put in incidents when they see them in California. And, uh, this sounds problematic. Yeah. Well, I have the app just cause I'd like to look right. around and, and, uh, the app's kind of annoying because for the past six months, maybe longer, um, it's been all about, like, it's really annoying because you can't even turn this off. All the flash updates, there's like a, a, a daily alert, alert, crime problem. You know, you think it's crime. Alert, alert, safety problem, safe from COVID's on the rise. Like, and it's got all this COVID crap in this app that's like supposed to be about shootings and theft and crap, right? But it's like COVID, COVID's on the rise. COVID, 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 COVID crisis, COVID crisis. If you look at the, um, if you look at our stats, here's California's stats here. Uh, positive cases been going up, down recently, I guess. Um, total deaths kind of at a peak. Total deaths are kind of at a peak right now. But this has been used to, for the past several weeks, these stats have been used to like just hammer daily. I mean, COVID, 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 it's a big, horrible thing. Oh my God, it's horrible in California, blah, blah, blah. Now that Biden's in office, we can generously interpret these numbers. I don't actually know if positive cases fell because they might've changed what they were doing after the CDC recommendation. Um, they might've changed how they're counting positive cases now. So that Probably. might be responsible for this dip. Yeah, but, um, but now they've lifted our bans. And we can go back to restaurants. I could go get my haircut, I think, now, uh, which I just Wow. Do, so. so all it took yeah. was five days of Biden being in office and COVID's over. It actually took less than that. I don't know if you remember, but we've, we've highlighted this, but I just can't say it enough. Cuomo, 
who's lockdown king along with Newsom and, and Governor Whitmore in Michigan, all these lockdown tyrants have now said, hey, we're opening. Let's open up. We should open. Why? It's well, almost you know, as Carrie, if they were using you have to take co- the wait, economy into account wait, wait. as well. It was almost <laughs> as if they were using COVID, dun, 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 to punish the American people in order to say, to not care what happened to the American people so that they could push a narrative that Trump was such a failure. That's why we have, that's why we're living like this in punishment is because Trump has failed. And now that he's out, they don't have to punish us anymore. They can get rid of all the restrictions that they, mm-hmm. that they enforced. I'm yeah, so, well, I don't know. Biden, I can't, if I talk about this too long, I'll get really angry again. I've already ranted fine. about this enough. It just makes me so mad because look, if there's a news article that I saw um, this last night, about Las Vegas, Las Vegas is opening schools again because their 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 suicide rate for students is off the charts. And we knew this was going to happen. We knew this. People said this. Trump said this, and they made fun of him for saying this. We yep. knew this was going to happen. And 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 you're talking about their suicide rate in Las Vegas during the um, during the lockdown. Is over is more than double what it was the previous year, and they and they have they've talked to parents and they've talked to kids and you know they're talking about how they're hopeless. They don't feel like they have anything to live for. They're living in this dystopian world where they're not allowed to go to school, and depending on how plugged into the paranoia propaganda machine their parents are, maybe they're not getting to socialize at all because because the media sold us this ridiculous, overhyped, paranoid lie. COVID's real, but all this crazy pandemic paranoia around it and lockdown, this is all crap that we allowed that didn't have to happen. The suicide rate in Las Vegas is up among children. Why? It's not because of COVID. It's because of government lockdowns. It's because of the media. It's because of this crazy hysteria. Yeah, let's be clear. Also, COVID is a negligible risk to children, like negligible. Um, Yes, exactly. Exactly. I I mean... Have there been a couple of kids that have died of COVID? Yeah, but I mean, by and large, it is, you know, there are more kids drown in buckets or whatever. I don't know. Yes, what it's I'm, something, I'm just being hyperbolic. But, but no, but more, there are more kids who drown. Like what we did to children, what we've allowed to happen and allowed governments, state governments and local governments to do to people and to destroy people's lives and to close down businesses and to put everyone, to put a lot of people in this state of, uh, increased paranoia and anxiety and isolation and hopelessness. We let that happen. That wasn't COVID. That was our government. That was the media. And that was all everyone who bought this crap. I was going to say, it wasn't even just the government. It was a lot of people. I mean, it was the government. Absolutely. But it was a lot of people that, that supported it, right? It was people that wanted it. Had people said no, the government wouldn't have been able to get away with this. If there was mass, if there had been mass uh resistance to covid lockdowns the government they would have stopped the they government couldn't stopped. have gotten away with it but there right. were enough karens and enough sheep that were just like oh oh yeah you want me to wear a mask okay there's um, a ton of my sheep in my school? town whatever yeah right all these little karen enforcers who go around videotaping people for not wearing masks and trying to shame them and following them around in stores you people are disgusting i know exactly who what kind of person you are throughout history 
and it's not very flattering. You're not good right. people. And, and, and I just, I just, I just think about, I know I have friends um, that I've talked to recently and in the past couple months who I have friends who some of them um, have family members who uh, already had maybe some kind of germophobia or social anxiety or something or depression or, and all of those things are through the roof. And, and there are people now I, I sometimes forget I have to be empathetic because my life really hasn't changed that much. I go out, I go to stores. I don't wear your stupid mask. I choose when I wear it. I will occasionally put it, I can put it on for my favorite little coffee shop because I only have to have it on for a second and I don't want to give the employees their grief and they don't care that I wear it under my nose. I will do that, <laughs> but I will not wear it at the big grocery stores while I shop around. Like I will not, I just, I choose when I wear it. And if I don't want to wear it, I will leave your store. Um, if you insist on it, you know? Um, but I don't, I don't go, I don't get down with all that crap. And I've been socializing the whole year and I see people all the time maskless. Oh my gosh. I have dinner like a normal person with people and we're maskless and we hug each other who imagine that. And then, but, but, but the reason I bring this up is because I have friends who I forget that who, who have altered their lives, who don't go. I, it just blew my mind talking to someone who, recently who, you know, people who, some people who haven't really been out and who haven't socialized since March of last year, that's almost a year. That's not good for you. And that, and that they're having trouble reintegrating into it. And they're going to have trouble now that all the, all the tyrants are saying, woohoo, it's magically over. COVID, and the media is going to start saying it's over and you can go outside now and everything. But these people are going to have trouble getting, getting back. Into well, they're going to get sick things. too, because their immune systems are, yes, are totally depressed, are totally yeah. depressed. Um, their immune systems it, have been like, and I it's, love it's like, these, you, you're not, you're not thinking of people and you're not loving people when you put them in this place of increased paranoia. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm done. No, it's okay. I mean, look, I, I I'm, I'm fine. If I, I guess, look, if a business wants to require a mask, that's fine. It's the paranoia. It's the paranoia that's bothering uh, me and obviously the, the government mandates, but um, I almost feel like it, we're in this this science fiction dystopia where, like the the germaphobes have taken over, like the OCD germaphobes run society now, and everyone's an OCD germaphobe. Um, and, look at how, uh, look at Howard Stern; he's like off the chart germaphobe, and this has made him so much worse. Yeah, it's it's really weird. It's really weird. Um, it's like we forgot that there are inherent risks to life. Um, yeah. and that we mitigate risks, but you can't get rid of them. And the standard that we seem to have suddenly adopted is, oh, if, unless we can get rid of it a hundred percent, we shouldn't, we shouldn't engage in any risky behavior because any risk above zero is not acceptable. Um, I, I don't know. And, and I'll be clear in case, in case you're new to the show. I, I mean, I hope it's obvious. Maybe it's not, but. I'm a liberal. I believe you sh should have personal responsibility and individual choice and you should choose what you want to do. And I have friends who do wear the mask and I don't have any problem with it. And I like, obviously you, you do what you, you choose what makes you comfortable and what you think um, you're, you're going to, in every situation, like Carter says, we're measuring the risks. It's a cost benefit analysis. If you do that analysis and you think it's best for me to wear this, then great. I'm totally fine with that. I'm, I'm expressing frustration because I think some people don't there's they've become so afraid like 
like, and they haven't socialized since March, some of these people, I want them to know it is possible to be out in the world and be okay. Like, as Carter says, like, I've been out in the world this whole time. I am okay. <laughs> like, you, your kids should eat dirt <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. You need yeah. an immune system. You're going to, you know, and, and I worry about what this has done to kids also who, who if they happen to be um, in a very paranoid kind of home. Um, well, it's not even the know. home. Like, we're not super paranoid, but, like, there's the events and activities yeah. whereby you could go interact with other kids have been canceled. There's nothing. Yeah. You know, my daughter's only social activity is that she hangs out at the barn all day because she rides and, and she's got there's other kids that there's a few other people at the barn that are there but like she can't go you know we tried to get like hey want to get together we've said that to a few of her friends and it's like ah you know they're like no one no one wants to get you can't you can't hang out you, there's nothing there's there's nowhere to go everything was closed like there's no one's around like it's no one you know everyone's paranoid everyone so it's not, it's not like even that. necessarily yeah, it's, it's not like that here in Texas. There are definitely the paranoid people, but there's enough of a mix where there's also like tons of people I've been able to continue my life pretty much normally in yeah. the past year because there's enough people who recognize that this is over the top and who also yeah. want to socialize. And, you know, I don't know. I feel bad for people in places like California and New York. Uh, oh, don't feel bad for us. We brought it on ourselves. We deserve it. Well, now it's <laughs> over. Now it's over. So COVID's over. all good. We can tell it. The inauguration yes. happened, so it's over. Yeah. Um, let's do a couple more super chats. Mickey the Fourth says, "My point is, democracy always leads to socialism. Dictatorship and absolute monarchy sometimes doesn't." <laughs> yeah. True, but they're also not as great. Like sometimes dictatorships and absolute monarchies can be pretty bad. So. Benevolent dictator versus a few hundred years of democracy that slides into socialism and maybe gets saved or maybe not. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I get I get your point. It's a good point. It's it's a point worth considering. Uh, Tatiana says, Carter kind of misunderstood me, but that's okay. Love him still. What I meant was focusing too much on rights does hurt the individual and what is right. I, you know what? I will concede I don't actually understand your point. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um Okay. There is, hold on. Cheeky Mare says, Swiss this is nurse. not a super chat, but Cheeky Mare says, Carrie, I came within five inches of a lady. Oh, five foot eight inches of a lady in a grocery line. And she flinched. We were both wearing masks <laughs> and she flinched. Yeah. People are acting crazy. Like, yeah, I don't, I almost want to do a, I've seen some people um, through social media in other cities and stuff doing these, um, these no mask, burn your mask. You know how they said there's the myth of the second wave feminists who, who were bra burning. Bra. You want to do mask. I want to do like a mask burning where you get together. I've seen some people doing these where you burn your mask or they walk through, they do, um, they do like a flash mob where, they all go into Target together and then take their masks off and go through the store saying, get rid of your mask. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of, the only thing about that is there's so many unknowns, like what kind of people in the store, are they going to freak out or not? What kind of people are in your group? Are they all pretty rational people or are some of them a little freaky? And, 
you know, things could go wrong and get very pretty fast. So that maybe, maybe I won't be joining one of those, but I think that I do support the idea. Um, anyway. Uh, Swiftner Braveheart says abuse cycle of power and control. The sudden lockdown relief emotionally whipsaws victims through relief and encourages future compliance. Codependency has an addictive component. That's dangerous. What a great point. Uh, Swiftner Braveheart. Um, I'm when you're, when you write that, I'm almost when I'm reading that, I'm almost thinking of um, it, it. It does sound almost like spousal abuse, where there's that like uh, abuse, abuse, and then the sudden um, doting and lifting you up, and you get that kind of relief of love. Um, yeah, that's a bothersome and scary. So saying but, people are in an, an abusive yeah. relationship with their government. <laughs> Well, that's by design, right? Yeah. I mean, what I think if you look at like what Thomas Jefferson or some of the founding fathers were imagining is that the what they imagined was that the government would be in a standoff with its citizens and like mutually assured destruction, like don't screw with us or we'll screw with you. Um, but instead, we've ended up in a an abusive relationship where we're never really actually going to leave. We're just, you know, it's it's thank you, ma'am. You know, thank you, sir. May I have another? Right, that's that's how most people uh, behave. So, um, can I don't know if we should talk about this because it's kind of old, but I just I just noticed it, and I I think it's kind of worth bringing up. Um, I know the election's over, and I know um, it doesn't. In some sense, it doesn't really matter the integrity of the election because there's nothing we can do about it anymore. And it's kind of, it's like, we've suffered the loss. So it's, it's kind of over. Um, but on another, from another angle, um, I just think it's kind of interesting to look at. I hadn't noticed this. I had heard this, but I didn't see this data until someone shared it with me. Uh, actually, Jason shared this with me. And I just, I just want people to be aware. You know how the media and everyone has always been saying there's no, uh, there was no evidence, there was no evidence, there was no evidence. And then what they used to back up that claim is, well, all the court cases were thrown out. Like, there's no, he lost in court, he lost in court. We went through the process and lost in court. I just, let's talk, let's just to show what losing court means here. Here's a spreadsheet. I know it's hard to read, so I'm going to read it for you. Here's a spreadsheet of presidential election lawsuits. Okay. It's, it's, it's uh, a comprehensive list, I believe, pretty comprehensive list of presidential election lawsuits from 2020. And if you look, um, these were all, all of these lawsuits, uh, if you look over here, there, the disposition shows what happened to the lawsuit. Dismissed, lack standing, dismissed, lack standing, dismissed, lack standing. Here's one that's still pending. Um, dismissed, no statutory basis. Some of these, so some of these terms, if you look at lack standing, no statutory basis, these basically mean you don't have a right to bring the suit. Um, so the question is, did they get to actually even present evidence to the court? Did they get to present and argue evidence, which is this column here, um, which I, again here, maybe I'll zoom in. Did they get to present evidence? Was evidence argued? Let's just zoom down this column. No, 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 
Morno, all the way to a subtotal. Here's the total of the 81 cases. How many got to ev- argue their evidence in front of a court? Zero. Zero actually got to argue evidence. 72% of these cases alleged illegal voting. Um, and zero got to argue their evidence. Now, I don't know. Are we supposed to have faith in this system? I don't. I don't have faith in a system like that. And I don't know how, you know, okay, we can throw it out because you don't have Texas. You don't have standing, Texas. Um, The fact that they were able to get away with this, not that I, I don't know whether there was voting fraud enough to flip the election, but the fact that they were able to get away with this and uh, not bother to look at anything and then make these claims like, well, we went through the process, you know, done. We went through the process. It's all over. Uh, You had your day in court. I don't know. I don't know how you, I don't know how you know this information. They and didn't cover any kind of faith in the system. Yeah. Well, they didn't get to have their day in court. And that's the point. Yeah. And I think what a person on the left might say, someone who's plugged into the propaganda would say, well, you didn't have enough evidence even that's you not getting to have your day in court is evidence of you not even having an evidence like they take it as just mean it doesn't mean they looked at the evidence and it wasn't enough it means we've decided that this court is not going to hear your case because for example a lot of these means you don't have standing right one of them denied i'm just looking denied standing denied or dismissed lack of standing denied venue we didn't like the venue we don't think you have standing in this court for whatever reason um what are some of the other ones most of them are standing. Um, so that means, summarize yeah. that. Summarize what that oh, means. Oh, it just means like, uh, for example, it means you weren't harmed, right? So like uh, if, Carrie, if you, uh, I don't know, you harm Tatiana in chat. Sorry for picking on you, Tatiana, but whatever. Carrie harms Tatiana, right? And I go file a lawsuit on Tachana's behalf against you. The court will be like, well, Carter, you're not involved and you don't have standing to like, Tachana has to file the lawsuit. You don't have standing. You, you, you weren't hurt. You don't, you can't just file stuff on behalf of other people, right? But with elections, it's very difficult because anyone who has a vested interest in the outcome of the election should have standing. Like, well, it, it matters to us that this happened, right? But, um, but they get thrown out for lack of standing for whatever for whatever reason um and the argument is like well you know didn't harm you i think that that's the argument against texas when texas complained about who they complain about georgia and other stuff they're like well texas you don't you don't have standing of course it harms us <laughs> if there was fraud at the someone uh, says you know. go to law school carter i'm not going to go to law school guys i'm old uh <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ if uh if if of course we have standing because if there was fraud in a federal election it affects all of the states it affects all of us but 
right. whatever. And so Guy Fox is the one complaining that I should go to law school. There are rules to court. Come on. Don't you believe in rules? I, I believe in rules doesn't really a thing, but sure. Should courts have rules? Yes. Do our courts sometimes biased? Yes. Guy Fox also says Trump has access to some of the best lawyers money can buy. The blame is the legal team. Maybe, maybe the blame's the legal team. Maybe the legal team just totally sucked. I'm okay with that. Um, my, my point is this looks pretty bad. Um, and it's hard to have faith in this, in, in this system. And, you know, there's not a lot of faith in the judiciary for a lot of the public, for a lot of the public anyway, right? A lot of people look at the judiciary and how they rule on things and question their sanity quite often. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they didn't have standing. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how to have filed this, but there ought to be a way to file it. And someone should have listened. I mean, are you saying in 81 cases, they all screwed up every time and like didn't file proper paperwork? Maybe, uh, you know, but I'm no. not going to go be a lawyer. Uh, no. after all of that, Guy Fox says, I am a lawyer and I've lost faith in the system. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> there, there you go. I don't need to go to law school. I'm going to rely on you. You have no faith in the system. And you did go to law school. So done. <sighs> Let's end on a positive note. I have to wrap this up. And... All right. Let's do a couple super chats. Okay. Um, Andrew Joyner <laughs> says, prefer wearing a bandana than a mask. Prefer to look like a bank robber than a brain surgeon. Then realized I look more like an Antifa member. Oh. Yes, you do. I like, here's one positive silver lining of all the masses. A lot of people here in Texas wear the bandana, but then they have it around their neck during the day. And it, I like the fashion of the bandana around the neck anyway. <laughs> so I don't, I don't like the mask, but I like people wearing bandanas around their neck. Maybe it'll bring that back permanently. Right. right. M tax shark says, if you wanted to provide election assurance, you'd allow a forensic independent audit of Milwaukee, Detroit, Philly, and Atlantis election. Never. Yeah, I mean, I, there is one case that's moving forward, I think, which is the, is it the Michigan one? Um, based on, yeah, based on uh, anomalies in the voting machines. I guess someone did an audit, the audit I'm reading now, the audit showed that the machines had an over 68% error rate, among other irregularities. Um, this is in Antrim County uh, in Michigan. So... That one is moving forward, and the judge said that uh, the the county has to release a bunch of records, uh, disclose a bunch of records, and yada yada. So maybe we'll learn more about something there. But you know, very few cases. That's one of the few that are moving forward. Most of them Alan most of them Alan are. asked us for the link to the court thing. We will put it in today's show notes. So we do All show the links notes. Go yeah. In show notes. Um, here's one from Rodzilla says the judicial system is why people need to listen to the podcast, the quash by, uh, the quash by legal man. It's excellent. Oh, great. Cool. I haven't heard of that one. I will check that one out too. Yeah. The quash. Um, all right. What, what do you want to end on? That was a, a positive note. I was relying on you today. I bring the positivity all the time. What's yours? I'm not expected to bring I, I'm not expected to bring positivity but I, I do have a little bit of frivolity which I mentioned quickly but I'm, I'm going to play a video uh, Okay, we'll probably get in trouble from YouTube but whatever okay here's the video um, just just enjoy this moment this is, uh, this is quite an enjoyable I find it quite an enjoyable video 
Wait, can no one hear this? No, I can't hear it. All right, that's my fault. Let's try again. I apologize. Boomer. Boomer, Boomer tech error. Let's do this again. Awkward. There are the Bidens standing in the cold, waiting to be let into their new home, the White House. Everyone wondered what was going on. Why were the doors shut? Well, now we know. The chief usher who was supposed to open the door was fired. Timothy Harleth was hired by the Trumps in 2017 after he had worked for them at the Trump International Hotel in D.C. But the Bidens reportedly wanted a chief usher with no ties to Trump. So Harleth was fired at 11.30 a.m., just as the inauguration ceremony was getting underway. Finally, the doors open and the Bidens enter 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I just enjoyed that little bit of frivolity because I thought it was hilarious that they uh, fired the they doorman. fired the guy exactly. They're so anal about revenge. They want revenge so much. They're so angry that they had to fire the guy with the keys to the White House exactly at eleven thirty. They couldn't <laughs> like, you know, they couldn't wait, have a conversation, have a handoff, make you know. No, he's got to be fired right away. And so he did. Uh, <laughs> he did what I probably would have done. I'd be like, "All right, I got the keys. I'm gonna, like, you know, later. <laughs> I'll lock the doors when I'm leaving. Bye." <laughs> I'll put the key under the mat. The key. Yeah. Well, here's the the key was under the mat the whole time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's there's your superpower. Uh, <clears throat> okay. States. It's a brave new world. Have a good. This was week. a weird Kofefi break. Am I correct? I know. But, it was weird. It's okay. We just okay. kind of meandered, but there was Sometimes a lot to weird. talk They're about. They're just weird. I apologize for the weirdness, but I don't know how to fix it some days. I'm just, I think I'm burnt out from yesterday's book club. It was long I'm and burnt great, out. but. Uh, I am. Yes. I'm burnt out. It's, we're all burnt out. It's okay. This was like a fun, free flowing one. If it was your first time watching, come back for non weird episodes at unsafespace.com. <laughs> we do have some more interviews uh, that are coming out. We also have a new book that we're reading for book club. You can visit us online at unsafespace.com. If you want to support us, you can go to the donate page of unsafespace.com. And there's various ways to do that, including with Bitcoin. You can um, go to our subscribe star. There's a link for it there and subscribe. If you want to uh, be a, give a one-time tip or be a, um, I don't know, what do they call them? Patrons, but not on pa Patreon. And if you do that at the $25 level or above, yeah. a supporter, you get a grenade mug. Sometimes people ask where to get these. And um, we also have merchandise, as Carter mentioned. And those are all the things we say at the end of the show. Thanks for coming. Please hit like and subscribe. And thanks Someone for hanging says, out with us. This podcast was relatively normal 93% of the time. Yeah, we're mostly normal. Yeah. Uh, mostly. Mostly so. normal podcasting. We're living in a mostly know. normal world. Return to normalcy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to interviewing interesting people so you don't have to hear us. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank yeah. you, everyone. Have a, good, really, uh, have a good week. What? Yeah. And really, thank you to everyone who was in book club yesterday. That was awesome. I really loved it. I loved everyone being there. So. It was great. It was really good. Uh, and appreciate it. And don't forget... Don't forget to read this. It's a short one, Thought Criminal. We're going to have Michael Rechtenwald on the show. Uh, so um, it's a short, fun fiction book. So go read that next if you want to get a head start. So, all right. Later, everyone. Carrie, have a good one. All right.
Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. You are advised to ignore their lies about our sacred government and its leaders. Here's a fun fact, the world will never be safe enough. That's why you need a loving government. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Did you know that goldfish are harder to govern because, contrary to popular belief, they can actually remember events for longer than five months? Computer voice, Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.